Kitty Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats Podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron, and I have been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we are speaking with Shelly Simmons. Shelly Simmons Kawa is the Division Manager for Greenville County Animal Care in Greenville, South Carolina, and serves as Vice President for the South Carolina Animal Care and Control Association. She has managed the largest open admission shelter in South Carolina for the last 12 years and has worked in animal welfare for 23 years. Together with her remarkable life-saving team, Shelly has implemented an array of community cat best practices in Greenville County that has decreased shelter intake from 9,000 cats annually to under 3,000 in just four years. Shelly, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Ah, Thank you for having me. Fantastic numbers. I can't wait to get right into those numbers because I love data and I love looking at communities and seeing how they've dealt with cats in their communities. But first and foremost, I would like you to share with our listeners, you know, how did you get passionate about cats and get involved in animal welfare? As far as animal welfare goes, I was actually, this was uh, not my intended field, which I think happens Mm. to a lot of people. I was actually going to college to become a geologist and I got sick. And so I had to take a break from college while I was recovering from that. And I took a summer job at my local humane society, which at the time I, I lived in Ohio and I fell in love. And, you know, so that became my passion and that became what I wanted to do. And so, you know, I fostered, I was an animal control officer, I did animal rescue, I did the adoptions, I just kind of worked my way up. And then in 2007, there was an opportunity to come down to Greenville because the county was actually developing an animal care division and they needed somebody to manage that. And uh, I went from a shelter of 4,000 animals annually to at the time in 2007, we were taking in over 20,000 animals in Greenville County. That was quite a shocker. (laughs) But it it really, I think, is probably what helped spur the passion that I have to implement these best practices and especially for cats because there were always a lot of resources for dogs, but never for cats. You know, six out of every 10 cats that were coming in back in that time, which was 10,000, 9, 10,000, they were six out of every 10 were being euthanized. And it was really just because we had nowhere for them to go once they came in because many of them were community cats. And so there was definitely a need and a desire. And I'm a person who likes to fix things if I can. And so it was just that process that kind of got me going with community cat diversion and taking it to the next level for Green Book County. Was that in 2015 or earlier than that that you got involved? In 2015, there had been a lot of back uh, story to that, that, you know, a lot of education that was going on behind the scenes with our local county councilman and administrator and just trying to explain why something like TNR was important. And so, In 2015, there was actually a resolution that was passed in Greenville County that our council put together that said, you know, we support a TNR, community-wide TNR program. So that's when we were able to kind of kick it off. And in 2016, about midway through 2016, we received a grant to get going with a community cat diversion program. And that's, that's how it all started. 
And that's excellent news. And my understanding and my experience with being really successful in communities is to really hit the community hard with a lot of aggressive spay-neuter services. So was that sort of what happened in 2016? You were given the ability to be able to really get out in the community and offer some aggressive spay-neuter services, or did you do a targeted zip code project? How did you approach that? When we received the grant, and it was a pretty substantial grant, Petco Foundation was very nice to us, Mm -hmm. but we really did want to make it very easy for people. So we promoted community cat spay neuter for free for anyone in Greenville County. And there was a whole process that went along with it. And some things that I think are really important pieces that shouldn't be missed if an agency or a county wants to implement a countywide or a citywide or whatever community cat program. And and one of those things was that we really honed in on the fact that I'm just going to kind of lay it out there. Like people are lazy and including my, (laughs) including myself, right? I mean, you know, we're kind of a lazy society. We want other people to do everything for us. And over the years, you know, all of the years that we've been doing animal control and animal care, we have always tried to cater to everything that the community needs. We'll just do it for them. And that's not really the best way to look at it. And it really is what kind of resources can we give the community so they can fix the problems themselves. And so that's the approach that we took. So when we implemented Community Cat Diversion Program in Greenville County, we stopped picking up cats, animal control. We stopped trapping cats. If somebody brought cats to us, we redirected them to our clinic, which fortunately is right next door. So it wasn't inconvenient. And we really don't allow the community to use the shelter as a dumping ground anymore. And I say that, but they only do that because that's what we've taught them to do over the years. And so now we're just teaching them a different method. And so one of those things was, hey, you found a cat. This is how we deal with it now. This is the new way that we control cat population. And here's what you can do. And we're going to make it easy. We're going to make it free. And all we ask is that you take it over to the clinic and you pick it back up at the end of the day. I'm all for making it as easy for the organization as well as for the people involved. I have found in the past that, you know, when you have people going in and trapping cats and then the community members are there and they're like, well, what's happening? And there's a lot of different layers of communication that have to go on through multiple people. So the fewer people that you get involved in that daisy chain of getting cat to clinic, clinic back to community, you can get that daisy chain really short. I think that it's helpful for everybody and it makes the process run a lot more efficiently. Yeah. And you know, one of the things that we were very careful about was not putting colony caretaker, volunteer people and animal control out there as hey, we have people that will come out and trap for you. We didn't want to do it that way because we felt like if we did that, people wouldn't take the responsibility themselves. And really, it has to be something that's sustainable. And there are some great cat caretakers, some great cat rescues, some great volunteers, but not enough of them to sustain that, you know, in a community as large as ours or really in any community. And so it really was something where we said, you know, we're not going to call on other people to do this for you, but we're going to give you everything you need and we're going to explain how to do it. And, you know, there's one thing that we do offer and that is there are some people that just absolutely refuse 
to pick up the cat after we fix it. And so we tell them that that cat is still going to go back into that community because that's where it was living. There are people there who are taking care of it or it wouldn't be healthy enough for surgery. There are people who care about that cat. And so we're going to take it back out there. And that's the only thing that our animal control officers really do when it comes to cats is, well, that and animal cruelty investigations, but they don't pick up cats and they will return them in those special circumstances, but that's about it. Everything else is powered by our community and they take the initiative and they take the animals in. So do you have any statistics on how often people do walk away from cats? It is about 35% of the people that walk through our door, like walk through our front door of the shelter, about 35% of those will not take the cats to the clinic and pick them back up. But that number is pretty small in comparison to the number of cats that are just being directly taken by the community. And it was interesting because recently we have a had a visit from the ASPCA to our clinic and they were commenting about how they couldn't believe how much engagement there was in the community, you know, that they've never seen really people take that much initiative to bring cats in. And, and that's going back to we don't really give them a choice. That is the way you do it. That is the new way of controlling cat population in Granville County and it works. And so I think because it works, we can show that it works, that helps get people on board, sometimes very reluctantly. So if I'm thinking about my numbers here, and I do love the numbers. So if you said 35% of the cats coming in are basically ending up going into the sheltering system, then I'm looking at 65% of either owned or community cats turning around through the clinic and going back out. So if I plotted that on a graph, that means the clinic is doing more, I'll say, public cats versus shelter cats. Is that correct? Yes. And even those cats that are turned into the shelter by people who say, you know, I'm not going to come pick them back up. I don't want that responsibility. We still spay and neuter, ear tip them, vaccinate them, and our animal control officers put them back in that neighborhood. We won't, we won't necessarily put them back on their doorstep, but we will put them back in their neighborhood because we know that those cats are being taken care of. That is really the way we look at it is we're just returning that cat to its outdoor home. And so we may not know exactly who owns the cat, but we know that if a cat comes in and it's healthy and it's viable and it's thriving, then there are people in that area that if we return it to that area are taking care of it, it knows where its food is. So those are cats that we do still put back outside. So very few cats actually stay in the shelter and get adopted. It's really only indoor cats that are owner surrendered and kittens that are too young for surgery and too young for the TNR program and injured cats. But yes, we do like between 2,500 and 3,000 free community cat spays and neuters every year. I'm fascinated by all the numbers and everything that you're sharing, and I'm extremely fascinated by the program. I'm assuming this Petco Foundation grant helped you fund your clinic or something else. I mean, how did you justify budgetary-wise creation of of a larger clinic that's able to help the community and have you had to become financially more self-sustaining over the years? 
Well, we had a clinic, an existing clinic, and we already did public spay neuter. And we actually already had been doing TNR, but that was, you know, an elective kind of thing. If if somebody was taking care of cats, they wanted to do it, we would do it, but it wasn't free at the time. And there were very, very few people who would do it because of that. And so the grant did allow us to expand the amount of surgeries that we could perform. We were able to hire on another vet, another technician, all of the support people that are needed for that. And of course, the medical supplies that are necessary to do the surgery and the vaccinations and whatnot. That's what it funded. But, you know, really what's interesting is that we found that, you know, we were spending, and these are just rough numbers, but we were spending $75 per cat for someone to bring it in and for us to hold it in our facility for five days, which is the stray hold in South Carolina. And it costs us less than $75 to fix it right. and vaccinate it. So even though we had a grant to get started, it was sustainable for us because all of those expenses that were going towards caring for those cats were put into the clinic. In fact, we had several staff that worked on the shelter side caring for cats that moved to the clinic and started taking those jobs on so that we could spay and neuter cats and do all of the support, the medical med techs and service representatives and people like that that we needed. And and so it really was, is a sustainable project once you get it going. And, you know, if you're fortunate enough to get a grant, which there are a lot of them out there, that's really all that's needed. Once it's there, people will figure out pretty quickly that it's sustainable. Hey everyone, Hooch and I are here today to talk about Dr. Elsie's cat litter. Dr. Elsie's cat litter is known to be the best litter on the market and Hooch agrees. Many of you know that Hooch was a foster cat of mine that I adopted while at the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. We did use the Touch of Outdoors litter as we transitioned him from being an indoor-outdoor kitty to an indoor-only kitty. I'm thrilled that Hooch found his home with me, but there were many times when folks would call me saying their kitty didn't use the litter box. I was also thrilled that Dr. Elsie's Cat Attract litter came out as it gave me a resource to share with others that was affordable and in most cases successful in keeping this kitty in their home. As a special benefit to Community Cats podcast listeners, Dr. Elsie's is offering a rebate up to $20 off your first bag of any Dr. Elsie's litter. Just visit drelsies.com forward slash community cats podcast to print your rebate or fill out the online form. Try Dr. Elsie's today and you won't regret it. I don't know if these are statistics that you track, but you know a lot of people are worried about community cat diversion programs or return to field programs as being just a way to dump a lot more cats back out there and that you're not necessarily reducing the cat overpopulation situation that the country is facing over the years. One metric that would seem to disprove that statement would be the hit-by-car numbers that animal control is picking up, hit-by-car cats and kittens. Those numbers should go down if the population is going down, or at least I would think that would be a good metric to look at. Do you ever look at those numbers? Not specifically hit by car, but what we did was we tracked for the first year when we started it, how many nuisance calls that we were getting about cats, because that was one of our biggest concerns, our animal control officers, that was their biggest concern, as well as our councilmen, they were worried that if these cats were just left out there, that it would just become a big nuisance problem. 
So what we did was we tracked the amount of calls coming in for cats that were nuisance complaints. And those numbers went down after we started. Within the first year, the number of nuisance calls that we took went down 15%. And of course, the number of cats that we picked up went down like 85%. You know, I mean, animal control is essentially not picking them up unless they were injured or too small or part of a hoarding or cruelty investigation. So the numbers went way down. The other thing, though, I think that is, a good telling statistic and something that we track is the number of kittens less than three months that are coming into our shelter because those are community cats essentially that aren't eligible for surgery. So every one of them that's found that people would normally have brought in, they're not going back out. You know, they're coming into the system. They're being counted as a shelter intake. And so in 2014, you know, a year before the resolution passed, we had five 5,000 kittens come in that were under the age of three months old. And last year in 2018, we only had 1,500 kittens come in that was less than three months old. So we know that because they're not eligible and because 95% of unwanted kittens are born from outdoor community cats anyways, we can kind of reason that the number of incoming kittens, as it decreases, we know that TNR is working. There are a few litters being born outside there for there are a few litters that people have to bring into us because there's no one to care for them. No, that's a great point. And the kitten numbers tend to usually be the ones that go down first, and then the adult cats will track later. Right. Mm -hmm. You had mentioned the importance of setting sustainable guidelines and responsibilities. Could you expand upon that a little bit more? Some of it we've already touched on, which is I feel like I get a lot of phone calls. <laughs> I get a lot of phone calls from a lot of other shelters in counties and communities who want to implement a TNR program, or maybe they already have and they're having these problems and they want to know, how are you getting around this or how are you solving this issue? And continually, what seems to be a common denominator is that they are giving the community a way out from the responsibility of helping with population control. And so that was one of the things I mentioned, which is set it up sustainable. Don't set it up to where hey, animal control will come out, we'll trap all of the cats in in this county, we'll take them, we'll get them fixed, and we'll put them back outside. All you have to do is call us because that's not sustainable. You know, we only have six officers for our county and there's no way that they could sustain that. So that's one big thing. You know, I think the other is making it easy for people to do the right thing. And so shelters and counties that I've spoken with that charge a fee, it's usually not as successful. Sometimes if it's very low, like five or $10, it might be doable, but really making it free for people to do the right thing, providing them with the resources like trap rentals that doesn't cost them anything as long as they bring it back. Those kind of things really go a long way. And then I think that if people are doing the right thing because we're making it easy, then it's kind of easier for them, or I don't want to say easier, but maybe it it becomes something that's doable for a citizen when they think about it or when we explain the process. Like, And so that's, that's really what I mean by sustainable. And again, I did also mention that we can, in our shelters, move people around, think about the cost savings of not having all of those cats come in and redirecting those dollars over to a clinic. Does your clinic provide any wellness services or is it strictly spay-neuter? 
We have a nearly full service vet clinic. So we do provide public spay neuter and then we also provide wellness services. In fact, you know, we do between eight and nine thousand surgeries a year. Ninety-five percent of our surgeries are free to the public. <laughs> so wow. yeah, so we really um, have honed in on low-income families, large dogs, because large dog is a, another big problem everywhere. Community cats; those are big programs that we have at Greenville County. And but the wellness piece of it is important. I mean, if a, a community cat comes in, sometimes they're not perfect. They might be eligible for surgery, but they need some extra care. We give that to them. In the long run, it's not that much of an expense for us to just add that on and take care of them versus having to put them into the shelter system and, you know, trying to get a cat well that's already sick in a shelter is like impossible. (laughs) So we'd rather keep them out. So we do a lot of, not a lot, but we do some medical care on community cats. Do you have an income requirement or is it open door? For the community cats, anybody can do it. As long as you're a resident of Greenville County, you can take advantage of that and bring cats in. We do limit the number of cats per day that one person can bring in because otherwise it could be a mess. It it already is very overwhelming, especially in the summertime for us. It's not unusual for us to get 25, 30, 40 cats, and we don't know how many because the other thing that we do that makes it very easy is we don't require people to have an appointment. We have a very large window that people can drop community cats off. The only thing we ask is that they are in a trap because that's for our staff safety and the cats. And so between 10 a.m. and 4 p.m., you can drop off a community cat. It doesn't cost you anything. And it doesn't matter where you live or what kind of income you have. We just want people to do the right thing. Well, that's wonderful. You're just trying to make it as easy as possible and not have any potential obstacles. So I'm going to ask you a big picture question here before we run out of time, which is when you get to the time that you're only, say, taking in, you know, 300 kittens a year and your adult cat intakes have dropped substantially, what do you foresee for cats in your area? Uh, That's actually interesting because we do have that problem sometimes throughout the year. It's so interesting for me and any of our staff or volunteers that have worked at that shelter long enough to see the change. It's just amazing (laughs) because, you know, we're the largest shelter in South Carolina and we can house up to 500 animals in our shelter and about half of those could be cats. And there was a time when we would have hundreds of cats in our shelter. Now there are days, sometimes even a week will go by where there's not a single cat in our shelter. Now that's not summertime when there's kittens, but in in the wintertime. So it has actually provided a bit of a issue for us, which is like, okay, when people come in and they want cats, they want kittens, we don't always have them. And that's a great problem to have. Certainly, you know, I, I think that we will probably solve our problem in Greenville County before some of our surrounding areas. So certainly being able to maybe reach out and help other communities. We are part of the No Kill South Carolina initiative. So we we certainly would want to help in that area. But, you know, I think that that's probably pretty far down the road before we look at statewide as running out of cats and kittens. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, I, I do think that it'll open up the door for us to help other people. And what it has already done is open the door for us to help other types of animals. We can focus more attention on our dogs because of our community cat program. We are not spending all of our time taking care of cats. So 
we can spend more time marketing and promoting the dogs that we do have come in or the few cats that we have come in. So it's more of a, a strategic pivot to use sort of that marketing word, which is when you're, you know, you'll have to adjust to different opportunities. I know up here in New England, quite a few large organizations are looking at helping farm animals or small animals, bunny rabbits and those things more than they've been able to in the past. And like chickens and guinea pigs, you know, it's certainly been a game changer in New England. And that, that game changing happened in about six years time. So when you say that you're pretty far away off, it may be happening in <laughs> the next, I hope it happens in the next three to five years for you, but then the questions are going to be, well, how's the community sourcing their cats? And do you worry how they're sourcing their cats? Because inevitably they're going to be still coming to your clinic no matter what. And the question is going to be, what's your baseline for the clinic? And uh, do you have a resurgence? If you're not really ensuring the population is getting fully sterilized, you know, you may have some upticks, some seasonal upticks at times, but it's a very challenging question to think of what what will an organization look like, especially for the organizations all across the country who are specializing in cats and specializing in community cats? You know, once those outdoor populations are getting sterilized and the cat colonies are going down, which is all good stuff, but is that all that there is to us? Or are, are we just doing the old, I really want to put myself out of business? Um, <laughs> and some of the smaller organizations are just closing up shop and they're figuring that they're done. But as we all know, it just takes two cats to make the game start again. Right. But those two cats can't support a full clinic either. So how do you stay on top of that situation when the vulnerable population of cats that's out there may not be a big number of cats? I think that it's it's impossible really to get all of the cats and get them all in there and get them fixed. So while the population entering the shelter is going down, the need to spay and neuter out in the community is going to be ongoing. And especially in our community, I mean, Greenville is an up and coming town. Everybody wants to come here and live and the population is exploding here for us. And despite that, number of cats coming into our shelter are going down. Now, at some point, it will probably level out. And like you said, there's going to be upticks. I know other shelters and other communities that have had community cat programs longer than we have that have run into that issue. So I think for us, it's going to be how do we continue to provide the resources? How do we provide more resources? I mean, we know that another big issue that's going on is that people can't afford the veterinary care for their own animals. And so it may be that we look to helping more in that area so that we're preventing people from having to surrender their pets mm -hmm. to a shelter. So I mean, we're already doing some of that. And those are things we weren't doing three or four years ago. Like I said, a lot of the programs that we have now that have been implemented over the last few years happen because, you know, we have some breathing room without all of the cats coming in. So I just see us really being able to provide more resources to our community. And that I think is something that will keep us in business for quite a while. <laughs> yeah, and it's exciting. I mean, I think it's very exciting to be able to say or to think that, you know, hey, I'm able to provide more resources for our community members, including the cats, but the owners of these cats and be able to help ensure that if people 
need assistance, that they're going to get the assistance to be able to take care of the cats as well as the other animals in the community too. Yeah. I mean, we do things like that all the time, obviously with kittens. I mean, we help people with every bit of the expense that comes with caring for little kittens if they find them so that they don't have to bring them into a shelter and rehoming. We help with that and medical care. We are starting to help more with. We have uh, programs and things where people can get their pets cared for very, very low cost and sometimes free. And so, yeah, I just think that those things along with other programs for our dogs, we put on dog training every single weekend. It's something different and new. It doesn't cost people much of anything to participate. And we have enrichment programs and we have all sorts of things that we would never have imagined being able to do even five years ago. So Shelly, if folks are interested in finding out more about your program, how would they find you? Probably the best way is to email me, <laughs> but uh, I do work at Greenville County Animal Care and we do have a website, which is www.greenvillepets.org. My uh, phone number, I don't care if people call me, I get a lot of phone calls about <laughs> community cat programs. So 864-467-3953 is my direct line. And my email is a little weird because I go by Shelly, but my name is Michelle in real life. So it's M.I. Simmons at greenvillecounty.org. Excellent. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? Well, really, I think probably for me, it's just if you're on the fence, you know, if you're an organization or a community that's on the fence about whether or not this is a good thing or a bad thing for the community, just to recognize that things don't change, you know, unless something changes. And we've been doing animal control for as long as people can remember. And nothing has changed doing it the old fashioned way of catching and bringing cats into a shelter. And so if people can understand that you have to take some risks and you have to be willing to change, they will reap the benefits of that. That's excellent. And I can't agree with you more than what you just said there. I really feel like you can make a change. You you know, have to be careful. You have to understand the players in your community and maybe do some delicate work in there, but it's definitely mm. possible. So Shelly, I want to thank you so much for spending some time with me today and agreeing to be a guest on my show. And I hope we'll have you on in the future. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this opportunity. Thank you for listening to the Community Cats podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes, leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats. 